for Valpert and the Tijuana Brass. I'm Karst Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. The title of today's episode, provided it fits on a single line in the Fangraphs post, is Meet Steve Slowinski. You will know Steve Slow's work both from the pages of Fangraphs and also D-Ray's Bay. And if you don't already, you should definitely know his name from the Fangraphs Library, in which series of documents Steve Slowinski provides definitions and relevant examples of the terms and ideas you're likely to find in sabermetric literature. In what follows, we talk about the Fangraphs Library, how Steve had the idea for it, and how we went about writing it. We also talk about how someone like Steve could be born in New Jersey, go to college in Pennsylvania, and live in Connecticut, and end up a Tampa Bay Rays fan. We discuss the downfall of Scott Cashmere, the Rays' rise of the late aughts, and the current edition of the Tampa Bay Rays, including extended discussions on both Matt Moore and outfield prospect Brandon Geyer. It's the very kind and gentle Steve Slowinski, right now on Fangraphs Audio. I've definitely seen your work around, and you've been part of Fangraphs for a while now. I don't know if it's – has it been a year? Uh, yeah, just over. I started – I think it was around last January sometime, February maybe. Um, brought the library over at that point and then started doing articles here and there. Um, took me a bit to hit my stride or whatever, I guess, but um, technically it was around there. <laughs> right. Well, I want to figure – so I want to kind of figure some things out because you've been, you've been sort of um, – notable in the uh, baseballing internet community for a while now and i think i'm trying to um sort of figure out how you uh, what was it, what your entree was into that now was it was it with d rays bay or did it even did it precede that no yeah d rays bay was where i started i ended up um i when i was in college i started kind of reading d rays bay around 2008 or something when I was a junior, um, around the whole year. I'd been a Rays fan for a number of years, um, but just kind of hadn't got into the blog, um, looking at blogs or reading until then. So I found D-Rays Bay, R.J. Anderson was there. Um, Tommy came a little bit shortly after I started reading, and Tommy Ransell, and um, kind of got hooked into the whole sabermetric thing. And I, since it's, you know, with Destination Sites, you write fan posts and everything, I contributed a couple articles to the side just during my free time, and they liked it well enough, so they asked me to come on and just contribute here or there. So um, I did that for a number of years. It was kind of, I guess, for maybe the next year and a half or so when I was finishing up college. I just, whenever I had a chance, I would do a little bit here or there. Not much. But um, I started writing more after I graduated and couldn't find a job, basically. <laughs> had enough time on my hands that... Um, uh, people seen applying for jobs and other life things. I just wrote to the site a lot and kind of put more time into it. And uh, things just kind of snowballed from there. I did a library around that time because I had no real, um, not much else to do outside of job applications. And, uh, yeah, so that's where I got the start. Kind of things snowballed from there. I got, um, eventually Tommy offered me for me to run D-Ray's Bay and just got the Fangraphs invite and kind of just been doing little bits here and there. It's been fun. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, I could say um, now having spent a little bit of time on the the sort of editing side of things, uh, it's my feeling that if someone can provide, um, you know, good material with some frequency, that is that combination of things is is in high demand, and that's that sort of seems to be 
uh, something of which you're you're rather capable. And I'm curious because, and th- this might sort of be a recurring theme in in this conversation, but it seems as though one of your real interests, and probably there's no greater example of it than than the, um, I guess what started off as the Saber Library and is now uh, under the the title of, of Fangraphs Library. We host the site. But is in one of your, your interests seems to me in clearly explaining, um, I guess it, you know, as um, as as simply and clearly as possible, um, you know, elucidating uh, potentially difficult sabermetric topics. And and this seems to to be apparent in other um, aspects of your baseball writing too. And I'm curious. I mean, first of all, would you would you agree with that assessment? And second of all, maybe talk about where it came from. Yeah, I, I'd say so. That's kind of been my, my thing. I think it started at when I was at DRHA, really, because I was trying to find my niche, basically, how I fit in with everything else um, that they're doing at the site. And I, um, I'm i not, as I mean, I'm no Matt Swartz or uh, Jeff Zimmerman or someone that can do, you know, great statistical work and research and stuff. I'm kind of not on that level. I, I can do, I love coming through the data and doing some Excel work and stuff, but just it's not, you know, I don't know all the fiscal um, proofs and to make formulas and that's all beyond me. So I was like, well, I want to contribute something still while, um, um, you know, doing something a bit unique or adding something to the conversation. So I figured I actually, when I was at Gettysburg, um, Gettysburg College is where I went to school. And, uh, oh, I, yeah, I actually, uh, um, my, uh, my stepmother's uncle ran track there. So there you go. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> small one. <It's>, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> small school, too. But, uh, yeah, no, it's, um, so I studied education there. That was at least partly it. I kind of studied child development. Um, wanted to really get into working with kids and um, either in a teaching aspect or in a child care or something like that after graduating. And um, so I was like, well, I have this education background to degree, and I, I love these stats. And I know we've spent a lot of time working with these stats and throwing them into articles, not a lot of time explaining them to new readers. And that's kind of came up a lot when we would do, like, how would you like us to improve the site? sort of questions people would always be asking. Uh, can you explain the stats more or show us somewhere we could find more information on them? And uh, So I kind of took that on and kind of just ran with it and um, just kind of still been running with it. Uh, <laughs> whatever works. I, I, I'd like to think that I have a pretty clear style of writing. Um, it's sometimes a bit verbose, but um, uh, so I think it, it works, at least. Uh, we still need to do a lot of cleaning up of the library and improve it, but that's a uh, continuous work in progress, especially with how sabermetrics just keeps chugging along. Yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting that you mentioned that. That, um, and, and I don't know. I don't know precisely what dates you're talking about, but I'm assuming in the last couple of years, readers asking for you know clear descriptions of of terms. Um, it reminds me of, or, or it brings to mind, the fact. Just from what I've observed in my, say, you know, two and a half years as a writer of Fangraphs and then, um, you know, maybe a year beyond that as a reader, a curious thing that's happened is, is you know, probably in part because of efforts like yours to develop primers, you know, of, of baseball stats and ideas, uh, advanced face baseball stats and ideas, uh, that there's been this huge learning curve, I know certainly among the readership at Fangraphs, where... It used to be the case that, you know, we could do an article, we could do a piece, we just do 500 words basically on how, you know, a pitcher like Felipe Paulito, for example, how his XFIP uh, was a lot lower than his than his ERA, and that would be an article. 
Um, and that's not even that's not something we could do anymore. I feel like, and, and uh, you know, without getting dozens of comments to the effect that you know, the, oh, this is just essentially like a prose version of this player's stat page. And I'm curious, I'm curious in your efforts because you really have been focused on developing um, sort of easier explanations, simple explanations for the advanced stats. I'm 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 wondering if you've seen just anecdotally from your reading um, a sort of learning curve like that. Oh no, definitely. I it's I've noticed the exact same thing that you have. Just kind of I feel like the um, I guess how to put this kind of the saber commentary or the the writing about sabermetric principles and stats or or even just general writing about baseball, you'll see with places like, um, I go to Rod Nair and Baseball Nation and different blogs and stuff. I feel like the the level of stat knowledge and the use of what stats are, I think that's like WOBA and and step and things, you're seeing in so many more places than you used to. Just over the past couple of years, um, you know, I've only, I came in late to the blogosphere, really, kind of around uh, 2008. I mean, really, sabermetrics, and blogs and stuff have been around for a lot longer than that, but I was just kind of getting into myself. But um, but since then, I mean, we've come a long way from um, Fire Joe Morgan and uh, places like that. I feel like these days with Fangraphs, you know, the pieces you really want to, the really good pieces, the really good things, really go more in-depth and dig into kind of the why behind the stats. And you're finding a lot of articles in other places that are including Step and Woba and all these things that... Uh, that before were quite radical. Um, I don't know if it's, I don't know how much that has to do with the library, how much that has to do with just these things being around longer, but I do feel like kind of the commentary on, on, uh, on baseball, it's, it's exploded just over the past couple of years. Um, you find so much saber writing out there these days. It really gets into it, the numbers and stuff. You know, it's interesting what you mentioned that you said that you were sort of late to the baseball blogosphere, and yet you're, you're obviously, um, I would suggest an important part of it at this point. Um, and you also mentioned that, that you have training in a field that uh, I would say uh, in, in what child development or, um, or education, mm-hmm. early education. Um, I don't think that people would necessarily consider that a, a natural stepping stone toward, <laughs> towards, uh, towards baseball writing or sabermetric type writing. But do you think that there maybe is an advantage as well uh, towards, I, I feel like there. If your only training comes from perhaps reading other baseball blogs, um, it seems like it seems like that might actually be a disadvantage. I'm wondering if you consider it to some degree an advantage that your expertise, you know, pr- prior to 2008, um, was in you know a largely you know or we could say wholly different uh, discipline. Yeah, I, um, I think to a degree um, it. It was certainly helped me kind of have a fresh perspective on things when I was first entering in. A lot of my articles on D-Race Bay back then were kind of took a very different vein from a lot of stuff that um, the other writers there were doing. I was trying to do, um, I would write more general pieces, larger pieces, kind of looking at the saber of the the sabermetric sphere as a whole, or um, uh, like you said, like the stat learning pieces. And I think it, I think one of the, the really cool parts about um, Sabermetric, you know, community and the, the Twitterverse and everything that's developed. Uh, there's so many people in it with a variety of different backgrounds. You have lots of people that have math and lots of people that have like engineering backgrounds, um, and those are the 
those are the guys that typically either are doing really great stuff like um, like Zips or that are getting assists, um, getting bought up by teams, basically, like Mike Fast and everything recently. But then you also have, I mean, just regular people that are doing writing on the side or people that are, um, uh, yeah, coming up with all sorts of different backgrounds. I feel like uh, it's very egalitarian in that sense. If you can write and if you can kind of think and just be critical, um, I think those are really the big two aspects of it. I'm not a great stat guy myself. I like math. I like stats. But I think the, the larger aspect is just, having the willingness to kind of think critically about the data and know what you're looking at and stuff. Well, so a peculiar thing um, in which listeners have maybe already noticed and uh, about which I I know a very little bit and would like to know more um, is the fact that you've noted already that you went to uh, Gettysburg College, which I, I believe is in Pennsylvania. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Um, and that you live in Connecticut, uh, and that you are somehow a, a Tampa Bay Rays fan. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. so I, I want to figure out how that happened. But I guess I want to know. I mean, I want to start w- with your sort of earliest interactions with the game, and then maybe earliest interactions with the statistical side of it too, and then see how that how that leads to becoming a Rays fan. Yeah, I um, a very. Um, Weird background, I guess, baseball background to a degree. I have lived in the Northeast my entire life. I grew up in New Jersey, central New Jersey, um, by the shore, but not, you know, the Jersey Shore or whatever. <laughs> not like the, the show depicts or anything like that. But, um, so I grew up, my dad was a Yankees fan, my grandfather was a Yankees fan. He had, um, I think his grandfather had immigrated from Poland, um, in the early 1900s before then, and he was a Yankees fan. So we've been, uh, going back going back a long ways in terms of just, I mean, that was kind of the family thing. We were all Yankees fans. Um, so I grew up with with that. Uh, through the, the mid-'90s, I really kind of started following baseball uh, around the time when the Yankees were were really hitting their peak when Jeter and, and all those guys were coming up around 96 and winning the World Series and all that. Um, that was kind of my formative years as a baseball fan, I guess you could say. I... Um, we had to write journals in fourth grade and fifth grade and things. And I remember taking my Yankee encyclopedia, just laying it open on the table and reading articles, reading stuff from there, and then jotting down, kind of summarizing in a sense basically the, uh, the uh, player profiles and things in there. And um, so I, I did lots of reading, lots of um, the baseball um, card collecting and things like that back then. Uh, and then come the early 2000s when the Yankees started to switch to their, their large payroll ways, I got to the point where I was being a bit more critical in my baseball, uh, being a baseball fan and everything. And I, I was just very disappointed with how they were turning away from a lot of the older players, a lot of the, 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 the true Yankees that I you know believed or whatever back then, uh, Bernie Williams and Tina Martinez and, and these guys. I let them go for, for larger, more expensive players. And uh, so I decided around 2003, I think, that I, I'm going to switch, you know, I've had enough of this, I'm going to switch from the highest payroll team to the lowest payroll team. And around that time, it was the, the double raise. Um, well, at least in the American League. I think if you were to look at the whole, um, all the majors, they weren't quite the lowest at that point. But I was staying at least in the American League East. Um, so it started off with a joke. But then Rocco Baldelli went on his, Crazy hot streak when he was caught up from the, from the minors. Well, yeah, wait. I want to I want to interrupt. I I want to know the roster of that 2003 team. The players that I remember 
notably. I mean, is this is this uh, post Conseco and Vaughn? Uh, yes, I just missed the hit, hit show basically, so that that was uh, kind of disappointing. I, I, looking back on it, I almost wish I'd been on board for some of the some of the early early years when there were lots of uh, yeah. The hit show was quite spectacular. It was this was after. Fred McGriff had kind of passed or gone and everything like that. You mean, he, um, it sounds like you're saying that he died, but I want you to know that Fred yeah. McGriff is still alive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, Rocco Baldelli was kind of my first true true love, I guess, with the Devil Rays. I, I kind of got sucked into him and everything. And, and then uh, from there, it was just a lot of young talent that the Rays had that I was really kind of, like, got me excited. I, I loved um, Carl Crawford when he was coming up on uh, I mean, it took a while to kind of get to the star status, but um, loved him. And then there was Scott Casimir eventually with the Victor's and Bono trade, and um, well, lots of other kind of lesser names like Doug. Um, I don't even know how to say his last name, uh, Wechter, I guess. And uh, pitchers that you know flamed for like a year or so, and then just died. So not literally. Um, but, <laughs> yeah. It's interesting you mentioned uh, Casimir because, um, in fact, I, I I noted on Twitter today or. Um, I apologize. I don't remember who was reporting it, but I think that uh, I think Scott Casimir is actually trying out uh, for some ball clubs today. Yeah, um, yeah, I believe so. Yeah, he's attempting, I guess, to to sort of resurrect uh, his career. I mean, of course, and so that prompted me to go back to um, his Baseball America scouting reports from 2003, 2004, um, when he, you know, with the Mets and then and then the Rays and. Uh, I mean, he was only so he was definitely first in the Mets organization in 2003. I think he was credited with having a fastball. I mean, this is as a six-foot left-hander, a fastball sitting at maybe 90, 94 to 97, something like that. You know, yeah. which yeah. is which yep. is which would be at this point, you know, probably the the hardest fastball, or, or you know, it'd be like it's Verlander-esque essentially coming from a lefty. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the next year he was actually he was second in the Rays organization only because they had Delman Young, um, <laughs> which worked out spectacularly for all parties. Well, it worked out crazily. I mean, I mean, perhaps perhaps it was difficult, you know, or maybe he didn't have the defensive shortcomings at that time. I don't necessarily know. Maybe you know, um, but he certainly is not a great defender. But he he definitely had, was being given uh, specifically Albert Bell comparisons. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I mean, if you look back at his stats, he, he really was raking through the minors. He put up some outstanding numbers in the minors, and um, I had kind of forgotten that until recently, until someone pointed out to me. I always kind of dismissed him as just people that the prospect guys are overrated, but he did really rake down there. I don't know what um, the patience was ever there. I think he did hit, but the, the pitch, pitch recognition possibly wasn't as good as he could be. Uh, yeah, right, right. But of course, that that's a thing that hap- That's the that's the case for a lot of young batters, and that's something yeah. that, that mm-hmm. tends to develop. Um, but right, it is strange. I don't know if there's been any prospect. Well, he's a strange player because he's still in the majors. He has not been. I mean, he hasn't been a a Hensley Mullins type bust or mm-hmm. Rene Rivera. I think I'm only going to name Yankee prospects. But it's a. Uh, mm-hmm. But but right. He. I mean, you know, he was in the top. Ten, maybe top three, even of the BA top 100 rankings for like three consecutive years, and I mean, I guess part of the thing that comes with that is that a player like that probably has a floor too. So, you know, it's very likely that we're seeing 
Delman Young's floor at this point, and it's possible he'll never get up off the floor. But I guess there's also some value in a player whose floor is, you know, something above replacement level. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I um, it's, it's a pretty disappointing in a lot of ways. They never worked out as he is. I mean, they as as well as he could have. Um, I mean, for the Rays, it worked out well. Well, it's getting Garza and everything, trading him off at that point. I, in looking back, I don't really know. Tough to say how much the Rays valued him at that point. He'd had a lot of personality issues, and they uh, they definitely seemed to, to want to shy away from him for for some of those reasons potentially. But um, uh, yeah, it's his his bat. I think it's definitely we're seeing the floor at this point. He could have he could have been a lot better, um, but at least I mean, um, Casimir is such a whole different issue, and he he. Was uh, after having those in the fastball and everything, he he turned into a great pitcher for a number of years. And at this point, it's I'm pretty disappointed just in the sense that uh, never would have expected a couple of years ago that Casey Fossum right now has a minor league job with the Orioles, and Scott Casimir is still trying to get himself back into the majors somehow. Uh, it's quite a backwards scenario. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, th- well, it is curious too. I mean, you'd think the fact that but well, I guess in this case, both of them are lefty. That there's got to be a job somewhere in the major leagues. Uh, I, I, you know, uh, looking at, um, I mean, Fossum didn't necessarily have the high ceiling that, or the stuff that Casimir did. Um, and I'm sure, but I'm sure he's close to your heart because you know he was a Ray. Uh, I was very close to my heart. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I was the uh, one of the founding members of the Casey Fossum fan club, as he used to say. Back in around 2007 or so. <laughs> How many people were in said club? I think about two, maybe three, depending on if my roommates were humoring me that day. Right. The, so. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds about right. Right. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, but we've seen we've seen, for example, Dontrell Willis um, have uh, excellent seasons, um, and then some kind of mediocre seasons. And then some pretty bad seasons due to a combination of injury and and then maybe, uh, well, I, it's it's actually a little bit murky, right? Because part of it could be um, social anxiety. That, that was a suggestion. Uh, but he pitched decently last year, and it looks um, pretty clearly like he'll have a job as a left-hander out of the Cincinnati pen this year. Um I, I suppose it's not entirely inconceivable that Scott Casimir could have a similar a similar arc um, to his career. Mm-hmm. You, you know, he was like you know, like I said, he was throwing at 95 at one point. I think like um, you know, both per Baseball Info Solutions, the, the BIS data, and also PitchFX. You know, his last couple years with the Rays, he was more at like. Um, 92. Uh, he's yeah. 90, about 90 with the Angels, and then in his last season, I think he was 86, which is probably means that's he was broken. But you you assume that if he could throw 90 again, that he has a job. Oh yeah, well, would only think so. I mean, it really depends how much uh, I think how much his sliders uh, really kind of ruined his arm, or how much he still has in him. His that was really at least when he was with the Rays, it seemed to be the issue he was. He would uh, have these control issues, and he would he would throw lots of pitches per start. You know, really labor through five, six innings or so, and uh, eventually just he was very slider heavy for a while, and that seemed to take a toll on his arm. And uh, 
so, but if he, I mean, if he still has enough velocity to to get by, or it can still put that slider to some degree, um, I don't see why it couldn't be a loogie somewhere. I just don't know at the moment what the status of his health is, uh, what how hard he can throw and everything. Um, I mean, honestly, Casey Foster himself, he can't throw very hard either, and I, <laughs> I'm surprised he even got a minor league invite with the with the Orioles after. I mean, I think he was in Japan for part of last year, I mean, it was the year before, and had like a six ERA over there, and um, hasn't really had a ERA in the minors even lower than five or so in a couple of years, but still sticks around. So, um, I mean, I guess there's hope in that sense. <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, uh, Fossum at one point uh, was known to throw an EFIS pitch or an EFIS type pitch? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, he had the uh, the Fossum flip. I think he called it. Uh, he used to, I used to call it the Fossum flop, basically. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. He threw uh, every now and then would toss up a 50 or uh, mile per hour pitch just to mess with batters, I guess. Not very often, but uh, did, were any of those ever uh, deposited into the outfield seats, or or was it the? <laughs> do we do we know the pitch type, linear weights, values on those? I would have to look that up, I have to say. I, I'm surprised I'm not sure off the top of my head. I would not be surprised at all. Um, I saw him pitch one game against the Orioles at one point, and um, he left two or three home runs, I think, just on regular pitches. So, uh, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, yeah, I guess that, that that does sometimes. I know, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen R.J. Swindle or R.J. Swindell pitch. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, of course, he was in the Rays organization at some point, too. Um, and he had, uh, but he threw a normal curveball that um, I think sat in the 60s, something around there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was always disappointed that the race never caught up Swindle when he was with them. Uh, I would have liked to, to kind of get a feel for his stuff. I, I never get to, so only, only looking at his stat page and fan graphs, um, he, he looks like you know someone that's worth a shot and AAA and everything. But I guess they probably had concerns with how his pitches would translate in the majors. Um, they've done that with a couple of relief pitchers that had AAA that seemed to look quite good, and then they just never called up. Um, well, Winston so, yeah. Abreu would be another mm-hmm. uh, pitcher that fits that description. I think he was um, he was in the, the organization for a couple years, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep, yeah, Winston Abreu, it was, maybe it was before last year, I think they released him, and he went to the, the Indians, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah, he's he was around for a number of years, always had a great strikeout and walk rate. Um, I guess you never seemed to hear that he had overpowering stuff or anything, and, and the Rays obviously never felt good enough to give him even a chance really at the majors. They let Dale Thayer kind of get a um, get a cup of tea before he did, and uh, Dale Thayer's biggest you know, biggest thing going for him was a, was a beautiful mustache, so that was about it. So. The uh, Well, I think he also led – I came across Dale Thayer's name – um, in going over the best pitches series for fastballs, uh, he and Ryan Franklin tied uh, among among pitchers who thrown at least 100 fastballs. Uh, they had tied for st- in strike rate, highest strike rate among in that sample uh, in 2011. I think that 75 percent of his pitches were strikes. I, I think that it might also have something to do with the fact that a lot of them were uh, swung at and made contact with. <laughs> that's entirely possible. Yeah, that's, uh, oh, didn't, uh, didn't know that. Now we yeah. talked. We talked about uh, one uh, lefty phenom for the Rays, uh, Scott Casimir. 
Another one about whom uh, I, I'm going to guess you're excited is um, it was recently signed an extension and is going to I think he's probably going to open the season in the rotation and Matt Moore. Do you have yeah. you have strong feelings about Matt Moore? Oh no, yeah, I I probably have way too strong feelings about Matt Moore. Honestly, it's not necessarily a healthy thing, but um, yes, he I I've been kind of on his. Well, actually, we've had there were at the day some of our prospect guys there were really riding him um, since the end of uh, 2010, kind of that season. Really excited for him and think he could do special things, and kind of jumped on board that bandwagon a little bit late. But, uh, but, um, but yeah, so I, I think when you look at, I, I did a couple of pieces, I think, this past year when he was being called up and everything, comparing his minor league numbers with other ace pitchers and just how, um, how he stacks up in that way. I mean, he is his ceiling and potential based on I mean, his pitches and his stats, but it's, uh, it's pretty exciting. I, <laughs> I mean, David Price has been great for the Rays. He has been, uh, um, it's well, he could, could look for in a top draft pick uh, picture and everything, but uh, Matt Moore, I mean, he has a potential to be something kind of even beyond that, I think. I mean, we'll see how much he was up to it, but just the fact that he stepped in last year and the, uh, the success he had early between with the um, with the playoffs and everything, coming in and just starting game one for the Rays, I thought, um, I, I was really hoping they were going to do it. I was thinking they might not just from for worries about him, you know, being so young and everything, but obviously it worked out quite well. So now, with with regard to more, uh, you know, I mean, obviously there are a number of uh, scouting reports available on the mm-hmm. internet and in real life books. Um, but I'm curious, sort of, what your impressions are of him, what he has, and, and what he what he needs to have in order to succeed. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the biggest the biggest thing with him in terms of you know, six feet and take his stuff up. It's always, um, for a number of years, his biggest issue in the night is always just control and to keep his walk rate low. Um, he's, over the past couple of years, it hasn't been as much of an issue. He's probably going to smooth some of that out. But I think, especially transitioning to the majors and everything, um, once there's a scene of stuff a bit more, he um, maybe doesn't have as, as much of an ability to kind of blow tears away, um, but they know more of what's coming. Um, We'll, we'll see how that kind of plays out. So he can keep that command and still, you know, be attacking the strike zone. Um, but I mean, in terms of his pitches, his fastball is spectacular. It's got great velocity and movement. His um, his curveball, he throws essentially two kind of different curveballs. He throws a slower one, and then he throws a, a harder one that can look like a slider. Essentially, it gets confused with the slider a lot. Um, his changeup is still kind of a work in progress. It's it's good, but I think. For them to really kind of take that next level, it'll be a lot, and it'll also depend on how well he owns that curve, um, change up going forward. Um, they had him work, I think that's one of the reasons they had him, uh, start less spend last year, a large portion of last year in the minors, to really work on that pitch, to really take his time going through the minors. Um, it's to the point now where I don't believe the Rays will keep him down the minors to start this year. They've been done that with a lot of pitchers and lots of players before, but, um, but more is his development has progressed to the point and they have him signed to a new extension so they don't have to worry about his, his uh, um, service time and everything. So, yeah, I'm, I'm uh, pretty excited. I think he'll slot in as by their number four starter or so and kind of see how it goes from there. But 
Probably actually, it probably would be the fifth starter, I guess. But um, but yeah. And so, what's your read on the the team this year? Uh, do you do you feel like they're legitimate contenders in the in the AL East? Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, I um, a lot of the early projections that have come out, a lot of the, the different standings and stuff, have the Rays sitting a couple of wins behind the Yankees and Red Sox. Um, kind of a little bit better than last year, but but still um, still there is that distance there. I think. I think that tends, those tend to underrate the Rays' potential, at least to a degree. I mean, I think they have some, um, they have a lot of potential. I, I don't want to call them a high variability team or anything, but I think they have a lot of things that go well or bad for them at the same time. I mean, um, there's Matt Moore and Desmond Jennings, both, um, who are a bit, I mean, it's always tough to project how prospects will do in the major leagues in their first season. Um, but they both have the potential to be, you know, spectacular and, and really, um, Jennings should be a great help to the top of the Rays lineup. And then, um, yeah, I mean, I think there's, there's also Carlos Pena, how his power comes back to the American League. Um, he had some issues his last year in Tampa in terms of, I mean, just hitting for an average and, and, um, his strikeout rate is, I mean, it's always high, but, um, I mean, we'll see how that does. And then there's Luke Scott who's coming off an injury and everything. So you don't really know how much of his power will come back, how he'll do. So I think, um, I'm, I'm pretty optimistic about it all. I think they have a really deep roster. I think they have, um, and really improved from last year. All the holes they had, their offense is stronger, but, um, more power and everything. But, uh, yeah, we'll see. I think, uh, I think they definitely have a shot. I would, if I had to rank it, I would place them ahead of the Red Sox at this point. Close to the Yankees, um, probably still behind the Yankees to a degree, but um, I think they have a very good shot at making the playoffs this year, even without the extra wild card. You know, I don't, I don't want to keep you around forever, but uh, I know that a player that sort of always comes up for me when I look at the uh, the Rays depth chart is uh, right-handed batting outfielder, I believe right-handed batting outfielder Brandon Geyer. Mm. Uh, Geyer. Geyer seems to me to be a strange case because if you look at his minor league numbers, uh, he seems to have at least the production of, of um, you know, what you consider a five-tool player. Um, you know, because his, his home run totals have been, I guess they've been decent. Maybe his power is, is sort of the least significant. But his stolen base uh, totals and rates, uh, if I'm remembering correctly, have always been pretty excellent. Um, I think that he's not entirely stretched in center field, although he may not be a natural center fielder. Um, but he's also a player that that the Cubs seem to give up pretty easily. Of course, they gave up a lot of guys in uh, in that trade uh, that sent uh, Matt Garza to Chicago. And he also doesn't. Uh, it seems that, that that the Rays have maybe been a little bit hesitant to give Geyer um, a real role with the team. And I'm curious. I'm curious what your opinions are on on Brandon Geyer. Yeah, I'm um, actually pretty high on Brandon Geyer. I think I think the Rays and their being um, their strategy with him and them being a little bit slow to promote him and everything. I think that speaks almost more to their, um, well, in part, they wanted to see man, how he would do this season and everything, but I think it also speaks in part to how they eventually view him and everything. Um, at the moment, and we still have BJ Upton in the center field. He's going to be a free agent at the end of the year. Um, and so the, the Rays could have potentially I mean, traded BJ this offseason, um, inserted Geyer into the the, um, the outfield. Um, I don't think the, the offers never uh, developed for Upton as they were hoping, so they chose not to go that way. But um, but they have, I mean, kind of since then, and the 
as hail stages of the offseason. They've signed a couple more players to fill up the bench and kind of we were thinking Dyer might start the season as, as a bench player or might might contribute that sense, but the Rays have elected instead to fill up their bench players, bench with especially players that you know wouldn't be as good or have as high an offensive upside as Geyer. Um, but at the same time, that gives Geyer a chance to develop down AAA more and more to uh, save the service time. And I see that as uh, I mean he's a bit older, and you could view it as you know they don't believe him. But I think it's speaking more of the fact that we view him as a potential. I mean, a potential uh, a fill-in for BJ next year, a potential to, to step in as an everyday player to really contribute uh, going forward. So I, I think his tools really fit well with the Rays. He's you know, a very good, de- a good defender, like you said, um, and a corner spot. He should fit in very well, and he has that well-rounded uh, athletic tool set that the Rays really seem to love. So he'll, um, I mean, he will probably spend a lot of this year in the minors, maybe getting a call-up kind of mid-year, late-year, depending on injuries and how things go. But, um, yeah, I, I expect him to have a big role with the Rays um, kind of 2013 and beyond. See him once up the leaves, kind of helping to fill that void. So. Hey, well, listen, uh, Steve Slowitzki, it's, it's been a real pleasure um, meeting you and, and talking to you. No problem. Yeah, thanks, Carson. Nice for having me. Yeah, and, I, and I'm going to invite you to, to stick around for a couple minutes uh, after I hit, hit stop on the record. Uh, recording device here uh, so we can talk about baseball cards. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay, uh, that's uh, for Steve Slowinski. I'm Carson Sestule, uh, and this has been Fangraphs Audio.